Joe, October is around the corner, or technically, I should say, late September is around the corner. MLB postseason is starting up. Yankees are in. Mets aren't formally eliminated, but it's not looking so great. But over in Queens, there is some real prospect of change coming up, and that is by way of ownership. And I know you've talked a lot, you've written about a lot going on with Steve Cohen coming in perhaps as the New York Mets' new savior. Yeah, uh, it feels kind of weird that uh, we're already at this point in the baseball season considering we've only played about a third of a normal season. So uh, it's kind of hard to get excited for the playoffs or at least to find that nostalgic feeling of what comes with October baseball or, again, in this case, late September baseball. Uh, But, yeah, as the Yankees uh, traditionally get set for postseason ball, uh, the Mets are uh, faced with another promise of wait till next year. But this time... This time, there is actually reason for promise, other than uh, maybe uh, hollow guarantees that we've seen from past regimes and whatnot. Um, Steve Cohen is poised to take over the Mets. Uh, We were actually one of the first to be on that story, whether it was back in February or with him signing the agreement with the Wilpons a couple of weeks ago. Um, He's going to be taking over 95% of the team. Uh, He will, by... Uh, by far and away, to be the richest owner in Major League Baseball. His net worth is roughly valued valued at $14.6 billion, um, which is, I think, uh, over $10 billion more than the second most wealthy baseball owner. Um, so obviously there are a lot of reasons to get excited. Um, it's not over the finish line yet. Uh, Steve needs to get 22 of the remaining 29 MLB club owners to approve of him taking over. Um, if not, then the Wilpons are kind of back to square one. But by that same token, uh, you figure that the Wilpons wouldn't have let it get this far if they thought that Cohen would be denied. Uh, they want to get the Mets off their books as quick as possible, hopefully by the end of this year. Um, and seeing Cohen denied would you know, bring everything back to square one, which would probably be a nightmare scenario for the Wilpons and, and all Mets fans involved who are praying, praying for this guy to come in and take over. Now, going back to what you said about AM New York being first covering some of the news, Joe, you're being very polite. You scooped all of baseball on this. You had the news 24 hours before it was announced. Got to give you a a huge shout-out for that. You were the one that that broke this thing. So, you know, you deserve the credit there. You know, definitely one of the biggest victories in Queens, I guess, in 2020. Now, when you talk about ownership approval – Really, do you think that there's anyone that would be against this? Um, there might be. It's it's kind of been uh, described to me and, and a few others um, that it's not going to be unanimous. And I guess I kind of understand, but at the same time, the price that Steve Cohen is paying for the Mets, uh, it's being valued at $2.475 billion. Uh, that's, that's a ton of scratch, obviously. Um, and the price that he's paying is unprecedented for a Major League Baseball franchise. Um, and what it does is it inflates the prices of almost every other Major League team, uh, you know, in the country. And I think that owners around the league who, you know, some in the back of their minds might be thinking, well, what happens when it's my turn to sell? Um, they're going to take this into consideration. So if they were to deny Cohen 
why, you know, why would we, you know, why would we do that and run the risk of possibly, um, you know, seeing the price of our ball, par- uh, ball team go down in the process. So, um, you know, it would, it would kind of be a, a foolhardy move for them to do so. Um, there might be some ulterior motives uh, for people to vote no. Um, I want to, you know, take all the speculation out while I can. The Yankees most likely will not be a team that votes no. I've heard some rumblings that um, the Dodgers might be voting no. Uh, Cohen tried to buy them in 2011. And um, Chicago White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf apparently is not too happy that Cohen is entering the forefront and he could potentially be a no vote. Um, so if it was, you know, if I were a betting man, which again, I, I certainly am not, I could see Cohen getting, you know, maybe between two and three no votes, but I don't think that, you know, he would get those eight where his bid to take over the Mets really falls under speech. And now say everything goes according to plan. And like you're talking, it, it seems like he'll get through seamlessly or, close enough that there are no problems and when the Mets play the Chicago White Sox once every 10 years, you know, maybe something happens there. But nothing really crazy coming up. And if and when Cohen steps in, it seems like he is going to do a little bit of clearing house. And that points to general manager Brody Van Wagenen, who spoke into a hot mic a couple of weeks ago and really... You know, the ice was thin then, and uh, now it's it's like a polar ice cap in the middle of global warming. So what do you think's going on there? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it, it's early. It's too early to tell, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Steve still doesn't have control of the team yet. Um, you know, and, and once he gets that owner approval, he will effectively and, and immediately take over once that happens. It, it remains to be seen when it could happen, maybe at the end of October, um, you know, maybe in November. Uh, so that's to be determined. But um, from what I've heard, I've had a sort of to tell me that there is the, you know, overwhelming chance that Cohen does come in and he cleans house. And that headlining move does include the dismissal of Brody Van Wagenen. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, continue using that term clean house because there are people within the organization that he might hold on to, uh, like somebody like Omar Manaya, who he's close with. Um, but at the same time, you could see Van Wagenen out the door. You could see Louis Rojas out the door, who he was kind of given a bad break, uh, you know, given that he was thrust into such a tough situation as a 39 year old first year manager uh, during a pandemic and the Mets going through all the offseason drama that pertained even to Carlos Beltran in the first place. So, um, that's definitely a tough call for him, but uh, in terms of Brody Wagon, uh, Brody Van Wagenen, it's difficult to make a case for why he could keep his job till next year. Um, you know, he's he's come up with the very rare win, and that came few and far between. But um, you know, in, in terms of kind of gutting the farm system, he he's done that, uh, especially for deals that haven't necessarily worked. Um, Edwin Diaz has, has come on uh, strong as of late, but at the same time, a lot of Mets fans you'll talk to say that it wasn't worth the price of Jared Kalanix, who is, you know, on the cusp of possibly starring in the majors for the Seattle Mariners now. So, um, you know, there are a couple of moves that Van Wagenen was snake bitten by and, um, 
you know, it was kind of an unprecedented decision in the first place to install an agent as a general manager, basically uh, hinging your franchise's hopes on player relationships with, with an agent. Um, so I think Cohen, which, again, he alluded to in a New York Post article a couple of days ago, he was speaking with Joel Sherman, he kind of guaranteed that he's going to have baseball lines put in. And sure, I mean, yes, to a certain extent, Brody Van Wagen and his baseball mind, but you want well-established, high IQ, proven baseball minds to come in and run your organization, especially for a franchise that had lacked consistency over the past 30, 40 years, or actually for most of their existence. Who am I kidding? Uh, You know, who've lacked that. Um, and they're in a mercurial time here. Um, this is an enigmatic time where you don't know which way the Mets are moving. Um, if Steve Cohen comes in here and he flashes the cash like a lot of fans were hoping for, then you know what? The Mets might have a winner built kind of quickly, but can it mean long-term sustained success? And those baseball lines that Cohen alluded to, um, that will help ensure that. And, you know, personally, I, I don't think the Van Wagenen fits that mold. So Brody Van Wagenen, when he comes in, the the intention or the idea there is for him to have excellent relationships with the players, yet when Yoannis Cespedes opts out of the season, Brody is nowhere to be found, doesn't even know what's going on, discovers an empty hotel room. So that line of thinking came to an abrupt and screeching halt there, if not at other points of the Mets season. I know that there are talks about Sandy Alderson coming in, taking a, um, what, an advisory position with the Mets now? Yep, yep. Um, again, only from what I've been hearing, a uh, source told me a couple of days ago that um, if he were to come back, it wouldn't be replacing Van Wagenen as the GM. It would be as a uh, sort of a senior advisory or, or senior leadership role. So who do you think the Mets would aim to become the new general manager? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a loaded question, and I've seen a lot of reports out there that, um, you know, they could go out and try and coax Brian Cashman um, from coming from the Yankees. Really? Um, yeah, I don't know how feasible that is, but at the same time, um, the Mets would obviously present a, a new sort of challenge for Cashman. Uh, they would probably offer more power in terms of, uh, you know, baseball decisions and um you know i personally i think it's out of the realm of possibility that that happens um but again i don't know what brian cashman's thinking i don't know if steve cohen would actually go after him um but you hear a lot of guys uh um, you know certainly theo epstein is a name that's popped up as well um but again you want to it's too early to say and and really i haven't heard uh kind of these concrete names as of yet uh, to kind of add to the rumor mill, I guess. But um, if Van Wagenen is shown the door, you would have to figure that Cohen is going to try and make a splash with this. Uh, you know, basically these first few moves that he's going to make as Mets owner, um, it's it's stating intent. Um, it's stating that the Mets are, you know, now that now that we're here, we're we're going for it. So um, you you'd have to kind of use your imagination here and think that. Um, it, they're going to go after some big names. Not sure if they'll get them, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it won't be for a lack of trying. You know, I could see Brian Cashman having a Wolf of Wall Street-esque moment 
with the Yankees where he just stands in front of the entire team and goes, I'm not leaving. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's uh, – again, I really it, – it, it, it would be such a difficult decision to, to leave a franchise like the Yankees. Again, you're, you're kind of leaving a Ferrari for, uh, you know – an Acura is that? A... I, I guess yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to use that analogy and kind of you know compare the Mets to a Daewoo or anything. But uh, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, no, no nobody else is the Yankees. Nobody can provide what you know the Yankees could could bring. And, and Brian Cashman is overseeing you know one of the last great dynasties in baseball. Um, so. Uh, really, it would definitely be a puzzling move for a lot of people um, if Cashman did leave, and it would certainly add uh, a different dimension to a uh, to a Mets Yankees rivalry. That's for certain. And especially, you know, the Yankees are poised, if not this year, you know, bringing in Garrett Cole, putting all these pieces together. It it just seems like that would be a very ill timed departure for a general manager who has potentially reassembled the Yankees to become the lean, mean hitting machine of baseball for the next couple of seasons. But I could see Theo Epstein being a very good fit for the Mets that really, really catalyzes a quick turnaround over at City Field. You look what he's done with the Red Sox. You look what he's done with the Chicago Cubs. You know, he is the resurrector of the underdog. And I think that he would bring in the right pieces. I think if Theo Epstein... We're going up against Brian Cashman for who is, uh, you know, who's the money man or who is, who's the stronger force in New York. That would be really exciting, even when baseball season isn't going on, just to track the free agency and track what's going on. I I think that that would be great for the New York Mets to take in. Now let's talk about on the field, Joe. If you had an Amazon wish list of free agents that the Mets could be signing, just. Just let's hear the names. Yeah, so the uh, the Mets wish list is certainly lengthy, um, and it's understandable considering the situation that they're in. Um, so really, you know, the the main priorities are are multiple, um, and one of them is bolstering the starting pitching staff, um, especially what we saw from this year. Um, you know, Brody and the Wilpons trying to rely on retreads like Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. Um, you know, again, they have to go out and make that big move. Uh, and Trevor Bauer is that big move. He's the best pitcher available. And also signing Marcus Stroman, who said, even while he was opting out of the season, that he would love to return to the Mets. He said he loved it here. He loved the culture. He loved the clubhouse. He loved the teammates. Um, and again, he's, he's a Long Island guy. Uh, so I feel like if the Mets came in and, and gave him something close to what he was looking for, he would come back. So all of a sudden, your your ragtag rotation this year um, suddenly becomes one of the most fearsome in baseball with Jacob Degrom, Alfie Noah Syndergaard, Trevor Bauer, who's you know was getting Cy Young consideration earlier this year, uh, Stroman, and David Peterson, who has been extremely promising during his rookie season and gives the Mets a young southpaw to develop hopefully for years to come. Uh, not only that, but you have to go to the bullpen as well. Um, late innings have been a bugaboo for the Mets. Edwin Diaz has been a liability, even though he's been coming on recently. Um, and if they had a semblance of a competent bullpen, the Mets would have been a playoff team last year, and they might be in somewhat better shape this year. So uh, 
when it comes to that, you have guys like Liam Hendricks of the Oakland A's, Alec Colomay of the Chicago White Sox. Both of them are free agents. Both of them should be on the Mets' radar. Um, really, it, it can't be stressed enough how important just the concept of finishing games out is. Uh, for some reason, it's been lost on the Mets for a few years now. Um, so hopefully Cohen and whoever is in charge kind of make that realization. Um, and really the third thing that the Mets should seriously be looking for this offseason is a legitimate, everyday, natural center fielder. Um, not, you know, transplanting a corner outfielder like Brandon Nimmo to center. Um, go out and get yourself a real center fielder, um, whoever that might be. Again, you know, you have a guy like George Springer who's available. Um, you know, that's, you know, that, that's, that might be a little bit of a stretch. Um, you know, he struggled this year. He obviously has his connections with uh, the Astros and that scandal and whatnot. Um, so, you know, there might be mixed feelings on that. But, um, you know, if you scour the market and, and find a, a legitimate center fielder that brings, you know, um, top-level defense to the position, that's going to help. Um, you know, too often we've seen uh, Brandon Nimmo kind of left out on an island where he's taking bad routes to the ball. Um, where he's getting beat over his head. Um, you know, that's something that a major league team shouldn't have to contend with. Um, you know, his Nimmo's bat alone is good enough where, you know, if he's put in his natural position, um, this is a good, this is a good ball player. Um, and again, it kind of leaves the Mets with a bit of a log jam in the corner outfield spots, but it's a good problem to have. Um, so really, if you kind of get that center fielder to help, round out the lineup and, and bolster the defense, that's going to do uh, quite a lot as well. Do you think that there would be a way that the Mets would take interest in Clint Frazier of the New York Yankees? Uh, you know what? It, it is an option, but it, but again, I mean, um, again, off the top of my head, I don't know how good of a center field Clint Frazier can play. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a possibility, but um, at the same time, if you look at the corner outfielders that are, Within the Mets' ranks, uh, you know, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis, um, you know, even Dom Smith was playing corner outfield, even though the D.H. is kind of helping to alleviate that issue. Um, you know what, personally, it, listen, if I was a GM and the Yankees came calling and offered me Clint Frazier, uh, why wouldn't I take that? Um, you know, I, I think I saw something yesterday, um, this season, in the limited playing time that he's had, Clint Frazier is second on the Yankees in war. Um, that's, that's saying something. Listen, this kid is, is, he's got a promising future ahead of him. Needs to be in the right situation. It took the Yankees way too long to bring him up and keep him up. Um, and I think, you know, 27 of the 30 major league ball clubs will be jumping at the chance to get this kid. I'd have to agree with you there. And earlier in the season, I was on a call with Clint Frazier and he was talking about, you know, what a difficult conversation he had with Brian Cashman, with Yankees manager Aaron Boone about going down. And the night he comes back up, I'll never forget, I was in the press box at Yankee Stadium. I believe it was my third game I had ever covered. Well, I've only covered three games, but still. Um, and the Yankees are trailing Atlanta 2-1. to one. Gary Sanchez had just hit a solo shot. And Clint Frazier comes up first at bat of 2020, and he just smacks the living daylights out of the ball to tie the game. And that, to me, 
given a weird year, I think that that stands out as like the Yankees feel good moment of the regular season. So Clint Frazier has really shown a lot of maturity. He's even talked about his fielding and his depth perception on tracking the ball. And you can see it. You can see that he's, he's improved and that he's growing. And I think if the Mets made a move at him, like you said, that they'd have to be foolish not to go. But I think you got a lot of, uh, a lot of Yankee supporters uh, that are holding on to dear life, hoping that he stays in the Bronx, especially with uh, what's going on with Aaron Hicks. And uh, you don't know where that future is going. And I think a lot of Yankees fans and Brett Gardner too, you're kind of wondering who's, who's going to take up this role. And I don't think you have to go out shopping because you have the ingredients at home. You have them in your cabinet. You have them in your depth. And hopefully you see someone like Miguel Andujar stepping up and he can fill into that outfield role a little bit better. But again, that's a talk for another time. We'll get into the Yankees in a little bit. Joe, with the Mets, with the prospect of Steve Cohen, the likely prospect of him coming in, what other things does he need to do either in the front office or just addressing the club culture of the Mets to really get that immediate snap into it, turn around, it's a whole new day? Well, he certainly needs to revamp the analytics department. Um, the Mets had the smallest analytics department in baseball. Um, it, it seems like they're kind of those old world-clutching, uh, you know, encyclopedia-clutching um, old-school thinkers where, you know, the prospect of computers and advanced statistics scares them. Um, you know, it's 2020. Uh, we've seen teams like the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays who have payrolls that are, you know, uh, close to a third on some of these big market teams uh, go out and they reel off 90-plus win seasons. Um, so, you know, it, such, a, such improvements kind of takes the pressure off, uh, you know, Steve Cohen to just come in and, and spend. If, you know, he has the correct personnel in place and they can find the right people and, and um, you know, kind of find those youngsters that can help the franchise make these seamless transitions between generations and winning and, uh, you know, provide legitimate depth um, instead of just promising that they have depth and then one guy goes down and this entire season goes down the toilet. Um, you know, that's what analytics does. Um, that's why the Tampa Bay Rays are the number one seed in the American League right now. Um, you know, that's... Um, or, or the number one seed in the, in the American League. I don't know if they're the number one seed in um, the entire American League. They are um, at the top. That, that's why the Oakland A's are winning the AL West. Um, you know, even even a team like the San Diego Padres. Again, this is a small market team. Obviously, they have Fernando Tatis. Obviously, they made that mega signing in, in Manny Machado. But again, you look at their pitching staff. You can't, you know, if, if I went to the average baseball fan and said, name me three guys on the San Diego Padres pitching staff, I don't think they could. They're not household names. And that's right. what makes the Padres an exciting baseball story. And I think that even in New York, you know, if the Yankees, if the Mets aren't in the equation, I think a lot of people, there's just some natural sympathy and some natural rooting for not a ragtag team, but a team that really just kind of came out of nowhere and showed their stuff. And you have two guys, but guess what? Nine guys are on the field, and how many more are in the dugout and the bullpen? You know, uh, San Diego putting together what they've done. It uh, As someone who might be watching the Yankees in the postseason beyond a wild-card matchup, it does make you a little apprehensive to think, 
well, what about these guys? Because there's probably hardly a depth of scouting on them compared to other players, other leagues. And uh, if you're watching from the AL side and you realize you got a, a date with destiny with these guys down the line, a little bit of uncertain, I think, is the best way to say it, just because you don't know what to expect. And by the time you figure it out, it might be too little too late, and you get the revenge game in April. Right. Right. And that's that's just one dimension about this season where, you know, these you know, these small teams with some of these unknown guys, they you know, they, they play a third of the season and then all of a sudden it's playoff time and all of a sudden it's do or die and you know, you're still aggregating scouting reports on some of these young hitters or some of these young pitchers and their tendencies. So um, yeah, you know, it's it's a real it's a real crapshoot at this point. And again, that's why I think going into the season, you know, we were talking about, you know, well, I could see a, a Rays Padres World Series, or I could see, you know, um, a White Sox, uh, whatever it might be, you know, something like that, a White Sox Diamondbacks World Series, because we just we just don't know. Um, so it's you know. That kind of uncertainty, it's kind of exciting for us. You know, usually, uh, for the most part, you can kind of predict where a baseball season is going, you know, midway through the year or three quarters through the year. You kind of know how the playoffs are going to play out. Um, but, yeah, listen, we're, we're staring down the barrel here. There are, you know, five or six games remaining at this point in the regular season. And then it's go time. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no rest for the weary. And, uh, yeah, there's no way to really uh, kind of – be Nostradamus about this. You know, it, it's odd. It's weird. It's strange. If you don't have a dog in the fight, I would say it's exciting. But if you're pulling for one of these teams right now, I think you're pulling your hair out. I, I think that they're just like, what? Before we even get in, we have to play a wild card, but we won the, our division. And and that is uh, that. Uh, when you think about that, it's it's just like, oh, oh, geez. How about the Yankees and you're possibly playing Minnesota? Then you know what you're expecting. That is true. However, <laughs> if these, if you don't get the benefit of playing at Yankee Stadium, and I'm not talking about fan noise, of course, and every player speaks on this, the fans make the game more exciting, but not having them there makes it easier to concentrate, which has been very delicately addressed because I don't think any player would ever go on record saying, They're grateful to not have fans in the stands. But take a case with the Yankees where you're calling up a lot of rookies. Well, it's a heck of a lot easier to concentrate in a quiet ball field. For Davey Garcia, if he surrenders a bad home run, it's a lot easier for him to just take the ball back and throw a new pitch when he doesn't hear a rain of 50,000 boos or anything like that. And not just him, all over the league. And all over, I guess, all the leagues in sports, you know, in hockey, uh, Semyon Varlamov of the Islanders, as you told me, he had an advantage because he could actually hear his coach from the bench. And uh, I think that ran into a couple of uh, confrontational problems with the fact that players can hear each other a little bit more. You saw it with Oakland and Houston. You definitely saw it with uh, the Yankees and Tampa Bay that uh, got a little bit heated. And uh, we'll see if that is a rivalry that will have another renewal in 2020 or if it will be tabled until next season. But either way, definitely something to watch there. That'll be exciting. And I want to go back to a point about Tampa Bay when you were talking about what an analytically intense team they are. 
their former owner, Vince Namoli, do you know this about his um his practice with email? I, I do not. This is something interesting. When uh, Actually, it was the game that Aaron Judge went down. I was doing a little bit of just research on Tampa Bay, how they ended up with uh, a stadium in baseball that is not all that appreciated, to, uh, to put it politely. And uh, I kind of went down a rabbit hole on the franchise. And Vince Namoli, the original owner, he's actually from uh, Patterson, New Jersey. He's a New York Metro guy. And he didn't believe in email when he first founded the team. He, he thought it was a fad. Wow. Everything was hand sent, hand this. He, so watching them go from that, from an owner that didn't use email, to, you know, on the verge of technological, statistical, sabermetric baseball, really shows a turnaround that Yankees fans should um, not table the rivalry with the Red Sox, but definitely look south. Not not northeast. So we'll see what what happens there. We're looking at an MLB playoff format similar to hockey. Eight teams in not the east and the west, but in the AL and the NL. And for hockey fans, they're kind of used to this format. They're used to it being such an intense grind. They're used to even with a one in an eight seed, you know that anything can kind of happen. And for baseball. There's less of a familiarity with that. Even the wild card, you can't just have a good night. You have to go out and do it again. And I know before, before, before the season, we talked about ways to bring back baseball and kind of want to ring my own bell on this one. Uh, I said I thought it would be cool to do a best two of three. I thought it would be cool to do it as a doubleheader with a tiebreaker the next day. And speaking of that, back when we thought doubleheaders would be nine inning games. Now, with playoff rules – everything kind of resets to normal, correct? There is no runner on second base if you go into extra innings. I I think that if a team were to get eliminated on that, oh, could you imagine that? Horrible. That'd be hard. And, and listen, I mean, Rob Manfred doesn't have a lot of friends as it is right now. Um, if, if somebody's season were to end in that fashion, forget it. Especially when they didn't have a home game. Right. And a wild card. Yep. Which, uh, speaking of, that's where... The Yankees stand right now a game and a half behind the four-seed Minnesota Twins. If nothing changes in the upcoming days by the end of Sunday, the Yankees will be traveling to Minnesota for a best-of-three series. But if they win out and they get a little bit of luck or assistance from Detroit tonight or the Cincinnati Reds over the weekend, there could be two or three playoff games in the Bronx. And, Joe, I know I've been uh, eyeing the Yankees a little bit closer, but I want to get your take on on the playoffs going on this year and what you think of this little mini wild card round. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, personally, I'm, I'm not really a fan of this entire format. Um, I think that what made, uh, or one of the things that made, Major League Baseball's postseason so special was its exclusivity, um, where you only had the five best teams per league make the playoffs rather than half of each league. Um, I think it was it just put that much more um, appreciation about it. Um, you know, teams. You know, before you know it, teams had lengthy playoff droughts. I mean, obviously, I get it. 
Um, you know, the more playoff games, the more money that's made for the league, uh, the more viewers tune in, the more TV dollars come in. I, I absolutely get it. Um, but you're kind of losing a, a degree of what makes baseball's playoffs so special. Um, I think that it also doesn't really give much of an incentive for teams to finish at the very top of their divisions, um, where some of these, you know, smaller market teams that just don't have the financial power of, say, the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Red Sox or even the Mets or the Cubs, um, you know, teams like that, they're not going to go out and try and perform these financial gymnastics where they can try and squeeze, you know, an extra 10 wins out of their franchise. You know, they'll say, well, you know what? We're going to get in the playoffs and we're going to, you know, do our best to nab a seven seed and flirt with 500 all year. Um, and then, who, you know, anything can happen in a wild card round, in a, in a best two or three. Anything can happen. You know, if we have two good starting pitchers, uh, you know, maybe we could steal it. And then anything can happen from there. Um, so I think it kind of takes the stress of, you know, going out there every day during the regular season uh, and performing to the best of your abilities. Um, and I think it would certainly make the, uh, you know, the last quarter of the regular season a drag. Um, so I'm not really sure uh, how I feel about it. You know, I'm, I could be dead wrong, and the excitement down the stretch between, you know, a team that's four games under 500 with a week to go and a team that's, you know, right at 500. Um, you know what, that might add a little bit of extra excitement for a playoff chase or a pennant race or whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, it's just something about it. Um, you know, and maybe it's just cause it's new. Maybe, maybe it's just cause it's new. I don't fully appreciate it yet. Maybe cause we haven't seen it in action yet. Um, but the fact that they're kind of taking away the incentive for teams to truly go out and get the best talent and, you know, do their absolute best and put out their absolutely best lineups every day. Uh, I think that's going to affect the product, uh, especially during the regular season. When you look at the example of the Yankees, what has been the incentive for them to overtake Tampa Bay? I, I haven't seen much. Who would they be playing then? The Toronto Blue Jays, who they've either gotten blown out or blown out against. There hasn't been much consistent play there. It's either been one team had it one night or the other had it another night. And in a best of three, that's not what you want. But instead, the Yankees are uh, setting up middle of the road, most likely to face the Minnesota Twins, who, uh, to put it politely, they've had a little bit of uh, playoff success on over uh, the past, uh, what, century now? Or um... Yeah, that's, that's a nice way to put it, a little bit of success. They have currently a 13-game postseason winning streak against the Twins, which is the longest in Major League Baseball history. So that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that that's the team that uh, you want to face, especially in the first type of playoff round like this ever. So is it is it Yankees' destiny? Is it Major League Baseball? Is it a little bit of both? Probably. But either way, the Yankees... One and a half games away from getting this little mini round at home. And like I had teased you before, to me, baseball really is the only sport where you have legitimate home field advantage. And it doesn't have to do with crowd noise. Of course, that helps the energy. It electrifies things. But 
each ballpark has its own set of dimensions. For instance, you hit a ball 310 feet in left field of Fenway Park, it's not a home run. Now, you launch one 293 feet the other way, you get what I'm saying. Um, and the Yankees know how to hit in their own dimensions. They know how to hit in their ballpark. You see them play so well at home in the playoffs. And again, I think a lot of people just think, oh, fans, energy, this. Look, the energy in the Bronx in October is one of the most electric things I've ever seen. Watching Didi Gregorius against Minnesota, actually, a few years ago in the wild card, tie the game at three. That was the loudest I've ever heard. I felt the ground shake at Yankee Stadium. And that moment was when it no longer became the new stadium. That's when it was just home. That was when Yankee, the new Yankee Stadium just felt like home. So, of course, playoff atmosphere is something. But then again, where did Gregorius hit that ball? He hit it into the short porch. He knew his dimensions. He knew where to send it. And it's not just the Yankees. It's everyone. And that's why what Major League Baseball is doing with the further rounds that will be played at neutral bubble sites kind of drives me nuts. When you look at the American League playing in National League ballparks, which are designed for pitchers, I don't think the the Yankees would hit as well. I'm not saying they can't hit, but I don't think that they would see as much success hitting in Dodger Stadium for all their games. No, that's, that's a good point. And, you know, again, if, if I put the Yankees lineup against any lineup, um, it, you know, for me, it really doesn't matter where they're playing. Um, I think the Yankees have as affluent an offensive lineup as anybody in baseball. I'm sure they've struggled. Uh, you know, we kind of saw it last week or two weeks ago. Um, but at the same time, I mean, listen, to, to, to win it all, uh, you you got to go through the belly of the beast. And, uh, you know, these circumstances are a little bit different, obviously. But uh, at the same time, uh, if you can't beat the team you're playing at whatever ballpark you're playing at, then you know what? You're just you're not good enough. Uh, you're not good enough to win it. And, you know, kind of hinging your hopes on, on dimensions and, and whatnot, uh, or, you know, saying that it might have been more advantageous one way or another. I mean, yeah, you know what? I get it. You know, the Yankees, they, you know, they get to feast on a, in a hitter-friendly ballpark. But I always say during these games, their opponents are playing in the same stadium. They can take advantage of these dimensions as well. Um, so, yeah, you know what? It's going to be weird having bubbles, but um, really it's – I think it's the safe thing to do. I think that the NHL and the NBA have proven that the bubbles have worked. Um, and I think that this was a move stemming from fear from Rob Manfred and the powers that be in Major League Baseball to ensure that they get those postseason dollars because their deal right now – um, for these playoff games, for TV, is worth something like $720 million. And, uh, yeah, they're not passing that up. So if that means sticking everybody in a bunch of random ballparks and, you know, slapping the name bubble on it to make sure that everybody's safe and the playoffs can actually be completed, well, you know what? That's, uh, that's just the way it's going to be this year. And, uh, you know, hopefully by next postseason, it'll all kind of be back to normal under this different format, which apparently is here to stay. But when you look at the NBA and you look at the NHL, they did their bubbles differently than Major League Baseball. They did it start to finish. The MLB hasn't done that. They've had two teams already with outbreaks. I mean, look at the St. Louis Cardinals. 
if there's not a playoff spot hinging on the end of their season, they're not going to finish with 60 games. They're going to finish with 58. That is a move out of fear. That's a move showing that there is no control over the situation. And then you're going to take these teams, including Miami, and now you're going to put them all together? I feel like that's going to cause an incubation more than it's going to prevent it. And again, if the MLB had started the season in a bubble where the Yankees were playing all their games in Dodger Stadium or all the teams were, then I don't think you can argue dimensions this, dimensions that, because you've had a chance to get a feel for it. But it's just coming in cold, and again, I don't think it would hinge on a game, but there are going to be hits where you look at it where I think you're going to see, not just with the Yankees, but all teams, like that would have been out in their ballpark because their muscle reflexes, that's, that's how they're tuned to hit it. And it may not make a big difference, but then again, in the playoffs, especially in tight matchups, every little bit helps. But still, what what happens if there's a code red with COVID this October? What happens? It's it's over. It's over. You know, you you can't. You know, I I I, I don't know. I if if there is an outbreak within a team, I I don't think that they should be eliminated uh, because of it. But at the same time, I mean. You know, if if they're in close contact with other teams, um, you know, then everybody has to be tested. And, and again, then you're just pushing the season back and you're pushing the season back. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what they're going to do. You know, I think they might do kind of, well, they might do what they kind of did with the Marlins, which was, you know what, they went through this outbreak, they were sidelined for a week, but they won't wait that long. They'll quarantine these players, and they'll force the organization to come up with these replacement players quick uh, just to make sure that the playoffs go on. And, and listen, I don't, you know, I don't think it's right. I think it's a disaster in the making if they do have a positive test. But, uh, again, it's, I'm really not sure what they're, they're going to do about that because if it were up to me and if there wasn't, you know, if a whole team came down like the Marlins did, um, I shut this whole thing down. Yeah. What other choice do you have? I, Are you going to just try to ad lib it and say you don't finish your playoff series, like what they're kind of doing with with St. Louis? Right. Is it an automatic forfeit? Is it you you take a day off? Even if you take a day off, that won't make a difference. You send guys from the alternate site, so it's essentially you're playing against a a triple A team that hasn't had any major league experience. I don't know. I, I don't want to talk like I am anywhere as qualified as Dr. Anthony Fauci, but it seems to me like the MLB committed to playing per site. They even said it was okay to do the first round of the playoffs there. Why would you just start to do it now? Is it is it just saving face PR or, you know, if it was safe for three months, why would it be dangerous for three weeks? You know, I think that I, I think with the with the more travel that comes with the postseason series, the jettisoning back and forth to each city, I think they probably wanted to cut that down as much as they possibly could. You know, where you play two games in one stadium, and then you know, say the Yankees play the Twins. You know, you play two games in Yankee Stadium, then you got got to get on a plane and and go to Minnesota and play you know another game, and then come back and then go again, and you know, so it's. You know, they, they try to cut that out, but at the same time, I think that in the back of their minds, there's also that unsettled 
fear that, well, when the weather gets cooler, um, we're going to see another spike. Um, and I think that might have been a driving force behind all this. I understand that. But even look at, you know, the New York Yankees are playing another 10 games in a row to close out the season. And uh, in those 10 days, it's been what? I believe started with Baltimore or was that at home? Um, either way, one city, Boston, Buffalo, back to the Bronx in a matter of days. So they're already executing that kind of really intense, sharp travel now. So to just kind of come in with that last minute, oh, we want to reduce travel. Well, you should have done the season differently if that were your intention. I I don't know. It's just... It's maddening, and it just happens to be from the desk of Rob Manfred, who has continuously churned out maddening edicts and verdicts uh, for the last few years now. And uh, again, like I said earlier, this guy's not making any friends, and somehow there is a commissioner out there that is making, you know, that is giving Roger Goodell a run for his money for worst commissioner in pro sports. <laughs> uh, and, and seriously, I mean, listen, it, I, I don't know if there could have been a worse person in place for this, uh, for this entire thing. Um, and it really started from the negotiations between the league and the Players Association. I think he poorly oversaw that. Um, I think he hastily instituted the return to play plan where, you know, he could have gotten an extra month of baseball out of it. Um, you know, he lost three, three and a half weeks just by letting uh, the league and the union uh, effectively negotiate longer. And really all it's doing is setting up the possibility of a strike in a year or two. Yeah. Uh, so really, I mean, um, I don't know how it works how a commissioner could be removed from power who has that authority to do so. Um, but you know what? If, you know, say baseball can't complete its postseason or it's done so in a disastrous fashion, and say if the league, you know, at the end of the 2021 season, they go on strike at the end of the 2022 season, whenever um, the CBA expires, um, you know, he's got no. That's got to go because uh, really baseball can't keep taking these continuously embarrassing hits from, you know, this entire handling of the pandemic to the Astros cheating scandal to the Yankees unsealed letter. Yeah, uh, that's real. Out that he's still covering for the Yankees for, um, you know, at, at some point enough is enough. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that his time is running out, but. Again, I mean, I, I don't know how these things work. Well, using the example of Roger Goodell, if he's still in, um, I think Manfred has, uh, it's starting yeah. to feel like uh, Vladimir Putin over in Russia, you know. Sure. Uh, no way yeah. to remove um, until death do them part. Another right. thing about this season and about stalling it down to 60 games, and this is something that James Paxton spoke about, and now he is done for the year on a 45-day IL players were getting hurt because of all this awkward ramp up. You saw it with the Yankees. It was next man up time again, even with Justin Verlander with the, um, with the Houston Astros. And he's a guy who has been, you know, he's been healthy as a horse. You look at it all around the league. If you're a player late into your career, 
hoping for one last chance at it. Someone like perhaps Brett Gardner. I know he's healthy now. Knock on wood about that. But if this is your last shot and you get hurt in the first week for circumstances that aren't your fault, that's how you have to end. How would you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough way to go out. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's you kind of look at it. Again, we're talking about the NFL. Just just look at the week that the NFL had. Look at all of the injuries because, again, virtually no ramp-up time, and they just jumped into this thing. And that's something that Mark Herzlich, Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, a few, I guess about 10 days ago now, I spoke to him, and he told me exactly that. He's like, without a preseason, you have guys that haven't had any real exposure to legitimate contact, any legitimate collisions, and what do you know? The Giants, Sterling Shepard now out for three weeks with turf toe. Uh, everyone knows Saquon Barkley at this point, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, etc., etc., etc. It goes on, and uh, it's almost like, gee, putting together hastily put up seasons isn't working and uh that's why actually i got a little insider trading from mark when i spoke to him about fantasy football and that is pretty much get a reliable backup at every position you have he didn't tell me that but what he did tell me influenced me to think like that because you need to assume one of the two is going to go down so anyone out there who uh still has some free agency leverage that's what uh, you should be considering because right now it seems like you guys could uh, manage your commission kind of like what uh, what the pros are doing because they're not doing uh, the best of a job right now. Looking at the MLB postseason, and we're going to do a much bigger show talking specifically about the Yankees. Mets, if they're able to pull something out. <laughs> Joe is shaking his head right now. Um but, uh, you know, you got to believe, you got to have hope uh, until the very end when uh, you get crushed. Ah. I, I think that's more, more your wheelhouse as someone who's been covering the Mets. But we'll talk much more about the Yankees, their matchup, what could be going on with what will likely be Minnesota, wherever that is. Joe, just about this MLB postseason, about this season in general, you know, what are some of your closing thoughts on it? Um, expect the unexpected. Um, I think we're not going to see a playoff field like this, uh, really ever again, where you have a team that won 40 games last year, like the Miami Marlins is, you know, they're going to be in the postseason. Um, it's going to be helter skelter. It's going to be super exciting. Um, it's, you know, as long as everybody stays healthy and everybody behaves, it's going to be one of the more memorable postseasons we will ever see. Um, and I, again, you know, just when I think that I'm out, they pull me back in. And, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of reasons to be excited for it. Um, and again, you know, who knows? We might, uh, we might get that, you know, Yankees-Dodgers World Series that everybody predicted in a 162-game season. Uh, or we might have that uh, that Rays Padres World Series that a lot of neutral baseball fans who are already out of the hunt are probably quietly praying for. When you talk about behaving, is that going to be difficult in Los Angeles as opposed to maybe a market that doesn't have so much nightlife, so much Hollywood, so much spectacular dazzle, just incentive to 
not break the rules, but be out and about, see the sights, maybe get a drink with some friends you have there, something like that? Um, it, it, it might be, but at the same time, I think that the bubbles that will be built, um, there's no way out. Uh, which, again, actually kind of makes it sound like a prison of sorts. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's for their, you know, it's for their own good. And more importantly, it's for baseball's own good, which, you know, it's kind of an indictment on our philosophy about the whole thing, I guess, which is an absolute shame. Um, and again, we're asking these players to stay away from their families for however long it may take them. Uh, so yeah. Um, I, I, I personally don't think that should be a problem unless they find a way to sneak out. And again, if that's the case, then, some very staunch punishments should be levied to make an example out of So say the Marlins do it again, what would you do? You're out. Before you're out the round? Yeah, you're out of here. Do you think that the league would come out with a guideline, like a stern guideline ahead of playoffs saying, if you contract this, or if, or not even if you contract it, because you can't fault someone for innocently succumbing to illness that would be illegal in so many workplaces and you have to you know treat major league baseball the same way but if it's we check the security cam and we saw you leave your room with two bottles of champagne and come back at five in the morning well then yeah then is it you're done is it a personal thing is it do you take it out on the team do you take it out on the players do you find the organization at a later date and let them keep playing i mean what's even going on with this you know it seems like Going back to the the sign stealing scandal with Houston and now Miami, are they just just getting away with it? I mean, you know, I, I think that again, a, a smart commissioner would have all of these things in place where they would be prepared for players who try to dissent. Um, and and yeah, I think that you know, I think the punishment enough would be suspending those players. Um, whether it's, well, really, you know, if they leave the bubble, then, you know, you probably have to tell them you have to quarantine for two weeks, 14 days. doesn't matter. So there's your suspension right there. You can't leave the hotel room for 14 days and your team might be eliminated after the fifth day, but you know, that's just, that's the way it is. And that's the risk that you run for trying to break the rules, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I'd like to think that they do come out with these rules soon. Um, but again, when it comes to Rob Manford, I don't, I don't really know. They're running out of time. They hey, are sir. really running out of time. They have until Tuesday, Sunday, sure. if they want to get it out by the end of the regular season, Joe, any closing thoughts on, on any of this? Um, yeah. Uh, Yankees fans, um, uh, listen, don't, uh, you know, make sure your team doesn't coast. Uh, to the end of the regular season because uh, i got to give you bad news. Even though you have the Twins in the first round, you might be playing the Rays in the divisional series. And uh, we know how you have been with the Rays. So, uh, you know, fair warning. Uh, For Mets fans, uh, you know what? The Mets are continuously hanging on by a thread to delay the inevitable, which is on par for a team that likes to torture its fan base. Um, Then I will say the same message that has been broadcast to me since I was a five-year-old Mets fan. Um, Keep faith. Uh, You know, wait till next year. But uh, actually, this time, I actually mean it. Uh, There is actually reason for hope. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. It's going to be a fun offseason. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, let's have some fun in the playoffs, everybody not named the Mets. So 
Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, and to go to what you're saying about Tampa Bay, two two things. One, Tampa Bay hasn't experienced a healthy Yankees roster yet. When you look at when the Yankees were getting hurt, it was against Tampa Bay in their stadium. So in a way, bubble works to their advantage there. We'll see what happens, but it's also the Yankees are going to have to find some newfound pitching depth given that you're probably not going to have travel days and you're going to be playing five straight. So that could be that could be the the caveat that Yankees fans had not anticipated in addition to all the other caveats that any Major League Baseball fan hasn't anticipated. And Monday we'll be coming out with a much bigger show, a playoff preview talking about the Yankees. You know, Garrett Cole even said – you know, I'm excited about the playoffs, but he kind of brushed it off last night and said, but we need to focus on the regular season. We need to come out, win strong against Toronto, finish off Miami, and get those games in the Bronx because that would be a very big deal. And this has been our unnamed baseball show, which we want to recruit the public assistance of all those reading AM New York Metro and listening to AM Rush to help us come up with a name. We've uh, we've discussed a few, but we really want to hear from you guys. I think one was, uh, which I think is very fitting, because we tend to run these podcasts a bit lengthy from time to time, talking about all different sports. So we were thinking perhaps the rain delay. And uh, maybe then, if it is the rain delay, then the championship drought that New York has experienced will be gone. I mean, it, it, it'll work. Uh, it's it's been a long, uh, you know, almost ten years now uh, without a championship here. I, you know, I uh, long, long story short, I'll keep it I'll keep it as short as I can. Um, you know, before AM New York merged with Metro, I worked at Metro running their sports department, and Metro's office was at 120 Broadway, which was right smack dab in the middle of the Canyon of Heroes. So when the Yankees made their runs to the ALCS. I at least took solace in knowing that, hey, you know what, at some point, uh, you know, I'll be able to just step outside my office and boom, I'm right smack dab in the middle of the championship parade down said Canyon of Heroes. And it never came, uh, you know, with our merger, we moved down to the Brooklyn offices and whatnot. So, uh, you know, we're still waiting, uh, but, uh, you know, one of these days there will be a championship parade and it might be for the Yankees or I don't really know who else right now because there are only two good New York sports teams that uh, are worthy of championship hopes, and that is the Yankees and somehow, someway, the Islanders. But their parade will be down Hempstead Turnpike one day if they go out and get their, uh, you know, Patrick Laine or Taylor Hall or Mike Hoffman. But that's, a, again, another podcast for another day. Yes, and uh, that one will be a little closer to home. Hopefully there is a parade coming soon. Hopefully there is a lot of excitement coming soon, and hopefully there is a lot of meaningful baseball played in two boroughs simultaneously coming soon. This is the unnamed sports show, or baseball show. We have names for other sports shows, but think about it. Come up with something clever. We're going to keep thinking of something, and we will see you all on Monday for AM Rush, for AM New York Metro. I'm Alex Mitchell with Joe Pantorno. Joe, Thanks again for coming on. It's always fun. Pleasure's all mine.